Hello friends and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your non-managers and individual contributors, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Teammate. In this 12-month program, I'll be taking your employees through this program, which includes topics on communication, managing your boss, getting results without authority, customer service, problem solving, decision making, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoints, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can have either your entire organization take our program, or if you have just a few folks, join one of our open enrollment cohorts that will start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. Well, one of the big stories of 2021 and now 2022 is the great resignation. People are leaving work. They're going to find better opportunities. Some people are retiring. Some people are quitting. Everybody wants to find themselves. And as employers, you're probably struggling with this. As an individual who's wrestling with making this really important move, you might be worried about this too. Does negotiation fit into this? Well, according to our guest today, Susan Bork, it absolutely does. We've had Susan on the show a number of times, especially things like, you know, how do we negotiate the return to work? But now, how do we negotiate maybe moving on from an organization? How do we resign the right way so we save our reputation and we don't leave the organization in a really bad and dark place? Susan's a great guest. She's full of knowledge and extremely fun to listen to. So why don't we just quit talking about her? Let's talk to her. You know what time it is. Let's make sure that personal item is tucked under the seat in front of you. Buckle that seatbelt low and across your hips. Time for us to take off. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Susan Bork, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. It's terrific to be here. Seems like we do this about once a year. I think this is our third episode and HR Oxygen has been on for going on its third year. So you're one of our charter members of guests and it's always a pleasure. The topics always revolve around something to do with negotiation. That is your area of expertise. And today's topic, which I never thought it would be one of those things where negotiation would play in, I have proven to be wrong yet again. And so we're gonna be talking about the great resignation I think they call it the big quit in the UK. And, you know, what we can do if we are HR professionals or even if we are somebody who's thinking about doing the great resigning thing. So before we dive into the question, Susan, for those who have not had the benefit of hearing you before, can you take us through your background and your journey and tell us what you specifically work on these days? Well, I, I have my business, Bork Works. And what I do is training and consulting and negotiation skills. So I like to say that I help people ask for what they want and get what they need with more success and less stress. And I came to that uh, by working in-house in as legal counsel for National Geographic Society. And in that role, 
I was doing negotiation skills training because what I found was that when our internal clients understood how to negotiate effectively, it made our job a lot easier. Okay. So now your practice, how does it work? Do people use you as a coach? Do you provide training sessions? Uh, could somebody who says, hey, I've got this big thing I'm working on, could you help me with it? Is that the work that you're doing these days as well? Certainly, yes. I mean, I love to go into an organization and train groups of people because I think that my reach and the effectiveness can be magnified in that way. And I also am happy always to work with individuals who are dealing with negotiations that might be happening professionally. You know, they are working on a bit on a situation. They're dealing with an internal negotiation that they're trying to manage and approach strategically or possibly a personal negotiation. I'll work with anyone, you know, as long as it's about negotiation, I'm the person that I think will help you be more effective. Okay, good. So when I think of negotiators, you know, there's, I don't know, of course, there's a debate whether this is actually a Christmas movie now, Die Hard with Bruce Willis. And I don't know if you've seen it, but they're, you know, they've got the hostages. And then there's this guy with a suit and a beard. And he says, I negotiate billion dollar deals for breakfast. And he attempts to negotiate and then he ends up getting his head shot off. That's what I think about the obnoxious negotiator. That's not what we're talking about, is it? No. <laughs> and and I think that if you if you talk to people who are who are truly hostage negotiators, uh, people who've worked for the FBI and in law enforcement, they'll tell you, in fact, that hostage negotiation is a very is a very specialized subset of negotiating. And while there are certainly a lot of skills that that go between both, um, it's it's a different focus when you're doing a hostage negotiation. Um, that yeah. Sometimes the negotiations we're involved in on day to day can feel like they have the emotional weight of a hostage negotiation. Uh, I think they are different. And the key though to any negotiation <clears throat> is both being very clear on what you, what you need to get out of this negotiation and also to really be open and curious about what the other person needs to get out of it. So being open and curious, would that not look like a manipulation tactic though? Because I mean, that's it, I'm just trying to think of, because I'm not very comfortable with this kind of stuff. And I almost feel like I'm leading into this thing and I'm giving it away that this is what I'm trying to do. But it just seems awkward and odd. Does it get better? Well, I think I think it's it's a skill that your listeners are aware of and are probably already practicing if they're going to be effective at what they do. So think about the people who've been on this podcast, who've talked about the importance of active listening, right? Of really listening to what the other person is saying, whether they are bringing a, a, an issue to you that's a concern, whether they're bringing a problem that they're looking for your coaching or mentoring or help in solving. Um, what you really want to be able to do is understand what they're what they're getting at, what they're what they're trying to communicate to you, because the words they use, sometimes they're very clear. Right. You've got those people and they're like, they'll tell you exactly where the dog died and they'll tell you what they need and everything's totally there. Other times people will say, you know, I need. I need like you can go into the hardware store. Let me do it this way and say, I need a number, you know, a number two nail. Right. And, and you've got the hardware store, the clerk will hand you that nail and you'll walk out. Then you might go into the store and you say, I need a number two nail. And the person, you know, might say, well, tell me, you know, what are you going to do with this nail? It's like, mm -hmm. oh, well, I'm going to, you know, 
fix this board that's sticking out. And they'd be like, well, how thick is the board? It's like, oh, it's, you know, probably about half an inch. And what is it sticking out from? Well, it's on my gate. And it's like, you know, you could do it with a number two nail. You could also do it with a screw. And if what you're trying to do is keep that board from popping out again, you might be better off with a wood screw. Yeah, that makes sense now. And it looks like I'm there to help you. And I want you to, to get the job done, but get it done permanently. Right. But, that, but that's based on, you know, I don't know if there would be this unscrupulous hardware store owner that says we are going to maximize selling screws. When someone wants a hammer, you make sure they get a screw instead. That We don't have that. But let's say, for example, we wanted to negotiate an end to this issue in Russia with, you know, this potential invasion that they're talking about doing now in Ukraine. I mean, I don't suspect that, you know, Vladimir Putin would be like that scrupulous hardware store owner. I mean, how would we do that? I mean, I don't think he's trying to sell us a screw. He might be trying to sell us a nuclear warhead. I don't know. I, I don't think Vladimir, I don't think Putin's trying to sell us anything. Mm. He's got his own interests and the, the Russian speaking territories in Ukraine are feed into those interests. Um, and they're probably, I think it might be challenging to find something else uh, that wouldn't satisfy those particular interests. Yeah. So does that suggest there would be no negotiating? Because if there is, I'm going to send you over there on a plane and, you know, we could call the troops to stand down then. But do you well, think there's actually a negotiation that could happen? Or do you think that's not even on the table? And I know I'm asking a lot because you're not over there, but I'm just wanted to get your opinion. Well, I would say that diplomatic negotiations and the same are, are like hostage negotiations in the way that you require, you know, some very special skills mm -hmm. and you want to approach them in a specific way. There are strategies that, that the people who do this for a living are trained in and aware of. The other point related to this is that these people have access to information about the situation that you and I don't have mm -hmm. and the exchanges that happen behind closed doors between the parties negotiating are also things that you and I have no access to. Mm -hmm. So I think that I'm going to leave it in the hands of the professionals when it comes to the situation in the Ukraine and hope that they can be effective, um, okay. both for, for general world stability and also for the citizens of the Ukraine. Okay. Well, hostage negotiation, diplomatic negotiation, those are on the far end of where we are today, because what we're talking about is the great resignation. So it doesn't really deal with world peace and, you know, making sure hostages are rescued. It deals with something that a lot of our listeners are wrestling with now, whether they are at an organization where people are resigning or they themselves are about ready to go down that path. And so wanted to focus a little bit on how negotiation might play a role in dealing now with the great resignation. I think that it is important. And I think that it can be important because in every resignation, there are really two sides. There's the person who's leaving the organization, and then there's the organization that's being left. And, you know, the thing is, is that a lot of times people, when they've made that decision to resign, they stop thinking really about the organization where they are and they focus on where they're going. How they leave that organization though can have an effect because the world's really small. And so 
I, I really want to try and change the discussion a little bit for people who are thinking of leaving, because I think that you, you actually, the statistics, the research shows the people who are thinking of leaving, it's not like they wake up in the morning and say, I'm gone, right? They don't usually wake up and resign. Some people do, but mm -hmm. it's a minority. Mm -hmm. So people have been thinking about this and understanding that you want to think about not just yourself in that process, but your organization and how you're going to leave is really important. Okay. Well, I'm thinking back when I used to live in your part of the world. This is back during the Great Recession. So we had the Great Recession. Now we have the Great Resignation, the big R's. But I was doing some outplacement work at the time. And this is, you know, dealing with folks who've been laid off and boy, it was bad. I, you probably remember what it was like. And, you know, it was, I watched the other day on TV uh, up in the air with George Clooney. And while that takes a lot of liberties, I mean, we don't make that much money doing that kind of work. Looks like he's, you know, making a six figure salary. But the thing that I remember, and I saw in that is, you know, these companies are just shutting down. There's office furniture all over the place. And a lot of times I would be paid to give the notice which I think is about the most chicken shit thing a person can do. Um, and other times people, <laughs> they went to their desk to log into their computer and their password wouldn't work. And when they called IT, it says, oh yeah, you've been laid off, haven't you heard? Or they walk in the office and there's the big white box on the desk. So thinking back on how that went down and there is a whole generation of people who experience that who are still in the workforce today. Doesn't that mean that we should just, if we feel like it, just quit? No, no two week notice. I mean, hey, they screwed us. So why don't I just go ahead and screw them right back? That's not well, what you're advocating, is it? It's not what I'm advocating. It's certainly a reality. It's certainly a strategy people can employ. And I certainly, based on what you're talking about, you know, you can see where it would feel it would feel appropriate. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think there are a couple things to keep in mind. Those people who were laid off that way, none of them thought that was a particularly good way to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. So why would you perpetuate something that you think is bad? Mm -hmm. Right now, I understand there are going to be circumstances where you, you, you know, you're in an organization, there's a security issue, whatever, you know, that the minute you give notice, right, you'll be out the door. Mm -hmm. Now, people in those situations are going to give notice at the last minute. And the organizations know, I should hope that that's what's going to happen. And those people are going to do those people are actually going to be very strategic about their their leaving because they're going to extract any information that they want to take with them before they go. They're going to, you know, use up their personal leave and their vacation leave as much as they can before they go. And that's probably a good practice when it comes to leave days, paid paid time off. Probably as a as a good practice, you want to try and use it before you leave. Mm -hmm. And even possibly before you give notice because Frankly, the, the days of getting paid for unused vacation are long gone, mm -hmm. as I think you, you would agree. <laughs> um, but the other side of it is that when you're in an organization like that, again, knowing that the minute you leave, you're, you're out. You know, they'll mm -hmm. escort you out or you'll be asked to leave, but all your access will be terminated, whatever it is. Then you can, you know, you can knowing that you can leave and just leave everything like it's frozen in time. Right. Mm -hmm. And people behind who you've, you know, when you, when you give your notice, they're going to have to root through your emails or kind of try and figure out where your projects are 
or, you know, ask the people you worked with what needed to be done next. And they're going to spend a whole lot of time trying to pick up the pieces. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you're going to be leaving. You could take that time and put together just a few notes, you know, or you could highlight a couple of emails or you could even schedule possibly depending on, you know, how your system works, you might be able to pre-write emails and have them scheduled to be sent, you know, the day you give notice. Mm -hmm. Um, But you could leave behind an orderly exit. And why would you want to do that? Uh, Maybe you wouldn't care about the people you work for, but maybe you do care about the people you worked with. Mm. All right. And maybe those clients that you were working with, you actually liked. So maybe you don't want to leave them holding the bag and trying to bring somebody up, you know, who's totally ignorant about whatever that project was. Mm-hmm. Another possibility to remember is that you're not the only one moving around. Other people are moving around. And maybe you found out about the new job you're going to from somebody you used to work with, right? And so people in their organization are going to say, oh, who can we talk to that Susan's working with now? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they might give them some names. Well, if you're, you know, known as somebody who's a dump and run, <laughs> that's going to get, you know, a different kind of phone conversation than somebody who says, oh, yeah, you know, when Susan left, she she had everything in order. She knew, you know, she left a really clean set of instructions or she worked through until she finished like some key projects because they were so close to the end. Those kinds of things make a difference. And people remember that. They remember you know, if you left a mess or if you left things in order. Mm-hmm. Well, there's really two sides of this equation. So there is the, the employee who is thinking about resigning and is on the fence on whether or not to do it. And then I think also the organization who basically doesn't see it coming. And so I want to focus first on the person, the employee who's thinking about resigning. You've, you've given us some pretty good tips on how to prepare for that. But is there any type of negotiation that person might want to do as part of their exit plan? In addition to, I'm going to close up all the loose ends, tie up all the loose ends, and close the loop. I mean, and I would imagine there's some people that just say, "I can't take this anymore. Nothing would allow me to stay here. There would be no circumstance." But I don't know if that's everybody. How could a person proceed being the person ready to resign so that they could at least have a chance to have a discussion? And then I want to take that from the other perspective, the organization. So let's start with the individual. I'm getting ready to give my notice. So let's let's back it up a little bit and think okay. about I can think about a couple different situations I've I know of that, you know, could apply. So one situation is somebody new comes in, like I get a new manager and this new manager has a style that I Fine. Sorry. Excuse me. This new manager comes in, has a style that I find objectionable, that I feel like I'm being micromanaged, you know, and and I can't, I've lost my autonomy. I'm constantly having to brief this person. It's, and I'm just, it's making my life miserable. Now I happen to like the organization. I like the people I work with. I had no intention of leaving, but I'm so unhappy that I'm like, I'm out. I'm going to, I got to start looking for a job. Mm -hmm. So in this environment, especially knowing, I mean, I should have a pretty good idea. Let's say I'm pretty confident that I'm going to get a job, you know, so I've got nothing to lose. So what if I use resources possibly within the organization using somebody I might know in HR 
or a resource that I have outside of the organization, working with a coach or, you know, a, a mentor to really think about how I could have a, a, a constructive conversation with my manager. Because in fact, there was a situation um, that I don't know if you ever read the working column in uh, the Washington Post, but there was a situation described there that I've just laid out for you. Mm-hmm. And that individual, she felt she had nothing left to lose. She went to her manager and had a constructive conversation. So it wasn't the conversation of you're impossible, you're, you know, you're demeaning, you're making me feel horrible. It was more, it was a, it was a balanced conversation really saying, you know, you're, do you have any idea what the impression is, how, you know, how these behaviors are affecting the people who work for you? Mm-hmm. And the manager was willing to listen and in fact had no idea that this this situation, you know, this the manager thought they were getting up to speed, they were, you know, communicating closely, you know, really being in touch with their employees and the employees were, you know, feeling terribly micromanaged and constricted. And it wasn't just the person who was, le- you know, who decided to leave. So the manager took this under advisement, really heard what the employee was saying, made some behavioral changes. The result was that the per- not only did the person not leave, she decided to stay, but the entire department decided to stay because now the work environment was, you know, it was much closer, better in some respects because a new manager can do some new things and, and not horrible in the respects that they found, you know, so, so frustrating. So it can make a difference. Sometimes if you've got nothing to lose, you actually might be able to make a change in a situation. What I love about that is that there was no ultimatum, at least that I heard in how you told that story. It's because I would think, okay, you better change your ways or I'm gone versus, you know, this is what I'm struggling with. And it sounds like the manager heard it and listened, which is very wise. So basically, there's always that hope that maybe whatever it is could be fixed. Maybe that would be a good reminder to kind of list out the reasons why you want to quit then, I guess, right? Yes. I think, I think, I, I won't say there's always the hope things can be fixed. Sometimes mm-hmm. they can't, but you want to be clear on why you're leaving. Mm-hmm. And that can come into play in another situation with somebody I worked with who, you know, again, a new head of the organization came in and wanted to make changes. And she just, she, these were not changes she was interested in, you know, in, in making having been there for 10 years and, you know, been through a couple of reorganizations, you know, one more did not feel energizing. And I Mm -hmm. think many of us have been in that situation. So what she did was think very seriously about what the needs were for her, for this new, you know, her new boss. Mm -hmm. And what he really needed was somebody who was going to be able to execute, right? Somebody who was going to be in a role that could execute on this. And she really thought about how the organization, you know, what the reporting structures were, how things, you know, who went to who and what the, and she basically went to him with a plan that said, you know, you know, what you're trying to do is terrific. You need people who are going to really be behind you to execute this and, you know, share your vision. And I'm, I'm at a point in my life and my career and my energy level after 10 years that I'm not that person. Mm. So, you know, here's how if you eliminate my position, you could use that headcount 
you know, and create this kind of a position or that kind of a position that would, you know, I think really move you closer to the, to the skill set and the experience level that'll, you know, enable you to execute on your plan mm-hmm. rather than me trying to, you know, fit myself into it when I've got a different type of experience than really what you need. Mm-hmm. And that person was able to, you know, that the, the, the manager, the boss was so shocked. I mean, cause he, cause you were talking, you know, people don't expect, right. They don't expect somebody to come even and say they're going to leave sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a, but here was somebody who came and said, you know, my leaving is an opportunity for you. And as a result, they were able to get a package. Wow. Yeah. Much better than they probably thought. And right. yeah, in the long run, probably more effective. Right. And they were they were interested in taking time after they left. So they were also more flexible, right, about their exit runway. And it allowed them to finish a couple projects that they wanted to finish. I mean, there were all sorts of things that worked in that situation. In another situation I had, there would be no package. Mm -hmm. All right. There was that was not going to happen. There had been a reorganization. The person felt the job they now were, you know, left with at the end of the reorganization was had bore no reflection to the interviewing process that had gone into the reorganization and was not a job that suited their career or professional, you know, anything about what they wanted to be doing. Mm-hmm. What they wanted though, was to be heard. And so what we worked on was how they, they communicated their exit so that they were, you know, communicating both to their human resources people and to their manager you know, what, what was, what had led up to this decision and what the basis for the decision was. And it, it enabled them to leave on a professional level where while the manager might've been, you know, nobody likes somebody to leave. It no longer felt like it was a slap in the face, you know, because it was focused on a reorganization and, you know, that was, and, and instead of saying you, you messed up the reorganization and you, you know, put me in a very, you know, in a lousy job. It was more like there was a reorganization. This is the result. I, this is, this is no longer in alignment with my needs and values and professional ambitions. So I think, you know, I need to move on to another, to a place where that is more in alignment. I guess that's where it's beneficial to speak from the I perspective on that, where some would say that's kind of selfish, but that's and I think that's stronger too than to say, well, this and this and this happen. It's more like this is how it affects me, and here's what I don't want to do anymore. Which I, it seems like it takes some of the ownership off of the organization and maybe some of the pressure. But right, yeah. I, but I, I mean, that, right. that's I think all of that suggests that if you're going to do this, you might want to really think it through, right? So not that emotional. Take this job and shove it, and then just walk. Right. And I think that's very hard for, that's a real challenge. I mean, there's the challenge is always to be strategic, but I think when you think about, I mean, if you think you put yourself in your manager's shoes, right. And that manager down the road may find another job. So you may find yourself years later, right. Being in a position where you're going to be maybe interviewing with that same manager again, what are the terms on which you want to leave? Or even if you're not interviewing with that manager, maybe you're interviewing in a division and that manager is the head of another division. 
mm. in that same organization, right? There are going to be people who know you and with LinkedIn, oh my God, right? Yeah. You yeah. can't escape the connections. You can't, mm -hmm. the world gets tiny, tiny, small, small, you know, one degree, two degrees of separation. Right. You, you can't escape it. So <clears throat> yeah, nobody's given written referrals, right? Nobody gives references anymore. <laughs> Air quotes, I put yeah. around that. Well, when you can pick calls. and coach them, yeah, it's not quite what it they're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> right. So how you leave a, a job can 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 follow you in unexpected ways. And I yeah. think that's um so it's not just what you post, right? That's one thing, but it's also just how you leave and how people feel about that. And it's never going to be easy. Breaking up is hard to do. Yeah. Well, especially when we spend more time at the office than we probably do with our partners. So yeah, there's a relationship that goes deep. Yeah. Right. So you want to, you want to respect that and respect, you know, the other people in them, in it, you know, you may or may not like it. Um, but I think you need to treat other people with dignity. Yeah. Yes. Well, on that note, then let's talk about now I am the organization and now somebody's just come to me and they've said, Hey, you know, I'm, I want to leave. So I probably as the company owner, the HR person have an obligation to at least try to talk through this. Does the dynamic change any, because now the roles are reversed and now, because I don't even think the organization has more power at this stage. I think the person getting ready to leave would have more, wouldn't they? Well, you know, like you said, it depends on what's going on in the marketplace during the great recession, you know, when people were being laid off, it felt more like organizations had, had the power. Um, but they, th those that did it so poorly find themselves in a position now of people replicating that poor behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, that you, it's worth finding out why so i think that exit interviews can be valuable uh at least try and listen and and the the thing about that though is i've heard from a lot of, of human resource professionals i know that they, they they leave there's many an exit interview they leave where they say you know if i'd known about this problem if i'd known about this conflict if i'd known about this behavior you know, we could have done something mm -hmm. or at least we could have tried. Right. And so I think that trying to help people understand where, where human resources professionals can be, you know, helpful is important. At the same time, the organization itself has to be willing to walk its talk. Mm. I, I mean, if you have a policy about sexual harassment, you have a policy about, you know, implicit bias and how to protect against it. If you have a policy about, you know, um, hostile work environment, whatever it is, that policy has to apply to everybody. And if it's, if it's inappropriate or behavior against the policy that's performed by a first line supervisor, or it's behavior that's performed by a vice president, the process and consequences need to be the same. And employees who don't feel that, that it is the same are 
and are going to, you know, be much less likely to go to HR. So the organization needs to do its work every day rather than wait for the exit interview. Well, that makes sense. It's just preventive care because then it would make it seem like to make changes around here, somebody's got to volunteer to threaten to quit so that things improve, which I'm sure there's organizations out there like that. But now that it's competitive, I think organizations have a responsibility to try to create that better culture there. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's like, so you're going to wait till people quit before you provide pay payroll, you know, market Mm -hmm. equity in, in your salaries. Yeah. Well, that's just someone, I guess, who's just not tuned in and assumes everything is fine because nobody's complaining, but that's not how organizations work. Right. And I would say, going back to kind of our earlier conversation about when you feel like you've got nothing left to lose, mm-hmm. I would I would suggest that you, you know, might make, just like managers who, who have to do uh, performance management on employees, you know, they love to just fire the employee, right? Mm-hmm. But you can't, you have to do performance management. And ironically, right. or, or interestingly, sometimes if you do it well, you end up with an employee who stays and performs well. That doesn't always happen. But, you know, performance management is time consuming, energy consuming and, and all of that. So from the employee's point of view, there's also a performance management exercise to be considered before you leave an organization. If indeed you're, you're, you're experiencing harassment, hostility, by what you perceive as bias and, and may well be biased, let me be mm-hmm. clear, then, you know, if you're in an organization that, that has policies with respect to that, you know, think about your responsibility to bring that to the, the attention of the human resources professionals, mm-hmm. you know, that you go on record with what you've experienced because, yeah. you know, where do you want the paper record to be? <laughs> I point. like to have control over my paper right. record. So, right. Well, that's that's some serious stuff. And and this is a serious topic because this is a challenge now and and organizations are really struggling for talent. But there's another area, too, that I want to look at, because I think this is one that our listeners probably will be on either side of. And that is now the debate about for people who've now gone to work virtual coming back to the office. And I think we even did an episode or we've done a bunch back when COVID was, I mean, like in the 2020s, but now I think this is going to be a real challenge. I've enjoyed working virtually. I think I'm as productive as I used to be. I don't have to hassle with trying to squeeze onto the Metro anymore or sit in the traffic on 495. Now my company is wanting us all to come back to the office. I mean, how do you have that conversation? Because I mean, frankly, I'm spoiled. I used to travel 35 weeks a year. Now, granted, I work for myself. But I, the thought of going back on the road like that now, I don't even want to think about it. And I can only imagine not having sat in that parking lot of, you know, 270 or 495 for a long time. I wouldn't want to go back to that life. But is that enough of a negotiation point if you are trying to convince your organization to let you stay virtual? I, I think I think the whole the whole hybrid, you know, virtual or full time in the office is is complicated. And it, mm-hmm. it becomes a very individual choice for organizations, for people, 
um, because the situations are very different. There are certainly some businesses that really do require presence or certainly some positions. I mean, if you have a building, the building manager probably needs to be at the building a lot of the time, maybe not every day, all day, but maybe. Um, on the other hand, you know, if you think about sales operations, there may have been organizations where the sales operation always was in a way quite hybrid, you know, um, there, there are people in organizations who really, I mean, I know we all have friends who are like, oh my God, I'm so tired of being at home and away from people. And, you know, I'm not getting that energy and interaction that being around people gives, gives me mm -hmm. by the same token. There are other people who are like, oh gosh, I don't have all that distraction. The open office plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, everybody's different. And I think organizations need to think about what's been working and what hasn't and what works for people and what doesn't and how much flexibility can they tolerate it's 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 a challenge i think that what's been interesting is that when you give people a certain amount of responsibility and autonomy they may be able to find systems that work more effectively and, and an example, a very small example of that is a friend of mine who's, whose husband is an attorney. And, you know, obviously, like everybody else, they'd both been working from home and reached a point, and I suspect many working families have this where they really were getting tired of <laughs> that particular, you know, sort of static office interaction, as it were. Mm -hmm. um, so she was kind of, you know, she was looking forward to him going back to the office. <laughs> um, and he was actually looking forward to having an office to go back to, but not full time. Mm -hmm. And so what his group, you know, he was in a particular division. I don't remember if it was, you know, mergers and acquisitions or trademark law or whatever it was, but his department scheduled being in the office that everybody in that department whatever else they were doing, they would all be in the office on Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. They'd work in the office on Wednesday and they'd all have lunch on Wednesday. And that was productive. Mm -hmm. So that they could manage their schedules, right? Some people might be in four days a week, five days a week, one day a week, Wednesday, right? But whatever it was, they could, they could do, but they all saw each other and made that contact once a week. Mm -hmm. And so that 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 worked for them and it seems like a, a a way of you know one way for certain departments certain groups of people to work if you're on a team maybe it's you know we found during covid with you know we would have team meetings on zoom right and it was mm -hmm. one way of doing it and that's great and maybe we continue doing that because people are happiest you know and they got everything done or maybe it works to have the team actually meet in person. Mm -hmm. It's it's going to be the dynamics are, are unique. And it's just the challenge of being both consistent and flexible. <laughs> Consistently flexible might be the way. huh? <laughs> uh, what we think about, think about what we want as as both managers, employees, we want to be able to like know, you know, plan, right? We want to mm -hmm. know, be able to predict. And consistency is the best support for that. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. People can tolerate a consistently bad manager much better than they can tolerate not knowing who's their manager going to be that day, right? You mm. go in and, you know, each day you're going to have the good manager or the bad manager, right? <laughs> and it's the same person, but you just don't yeah. know who's going right. to show up. Whereas if they're consistently dreadful, it, you know, you'll look for another job, I grant you, but you, at least you know, right? You can, you're not, there are no surprises, right? Mm -hmm. You just know, you know what they're like and you know what you need to do. Man, that would be a horrible life. I mean, I've well, done it, I've done it before. It. Yeah, it's been, it was awful, but right. you're right. But it's worse not to know. It's worse yeah. when you can't, when you don't know who's going to be your manager that day. Right. So that's the so the consistency is what's important, because when there's consistency, you can then you can plan, you can strategize. Mm -hmm. Well, everything that you've shared with us so far, it seems like it falls into a couple of really good principles. I think the first one is know exactly what it is that you need and what is most important to you. And then the second one is, you know, when this is over with, I think everybody needs to be at peace with each other because you never know who you're going to run across in the future. And people tend to remember bad actors. So lot to think about, Susan. But the beauty of having you on the show to help us think through this is that you're also available to help us work on this off the show. So tell us how we can reach out to you if we need training on how to do this, if we need coaching on how to do this or anything in between. How do we find you? Thank you. Well, you can find me at my website, which is my last name, B-O-R-K-E, works. So borkworks.com. And of course, I'm also on LinkedIn, as we all are, <clears throat> Susan Bork. Uh, and certainly you'll have the links. The links are at the where the podcast is, so you can find me that way. And going back to your point, I'm pretty sure it was Maya Angelou who said, you know, people will remember, they'll remember what you did, but they'll remember much longer how you made them feel. Mm. And so, because we do, right? As you pointed out, we remember when somebody's treated us badly and we remember, and we hold on to that for a very long time. Um, so think about how you want to be remembered and how, what behavior you can engage in to achieve, to try and influence that, right? We can't control what other people think, but we can certainly influence it. I agree. Well, Susan, as always, it's a pleasure to chat with you. You're just a fun person with a lot of really cool stories. So thanks for taking time out today to be with us. And if you're listening today, just like we've said previously, please reach out to Susan. She knows what she's doing and you definitely can benefit from engaging with her. Thanks so much, Susan. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well. <laughs>